Hello and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, editor of Every Woman, and every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights and opinions of inspiring people in business on a wide range of topics, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. Today we're talking to Carl Honoré, author of the worldwide bestseller In Praise of Slow and dubbed by some as the godfather of the slow movement. Um, The basic premise of of In Praise of Slow is that even in a frantic world, slowing down can help us to lead richer, happier and more productive lives, which I think is something we can all get behind. Welcome to the studio, Carl. Thank you. Good to be here. So for those who haven't read the book that started it all, let's start by discussing what we mean by slow, because it's it's a small word with big implications for the psyche, for the way we live our lives. Well, I should probably start out by saying that I am not an extremist or a fundamentalist of slowness, right? I love speed. Sometimes faster is better. We all know that. This whole slow revolution or slow movement is about doing things at the right speed. It's about understanding that there are times to be fast, there are times to be slow and there are all kinds of different rhythms and paces and speeds to play with in between. Slow is about doing things mindfully, being present, about quality over quantity. It's ultimately, it's really about doing things not as fast as possible, but as well as possible. So in, in its essence, it's a pretty simple idea. It's trying to find the right, the right tempo, what musicians call the tempo giusto for every moment. I like that idea. I mean, you know, the tempo, is it is it a physical thing? Is it a mental thing? I mean, you talked about mindfulness and it's, I mean, you wrote this book, I think 15 years ago. It is getting for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously spawned a, a big movement and, and there's plenty of sort of tentacles of different things that have come off it. But so mindfulness has just, uh, you know, come to the fore in the past few years. So that's been an added, you know, part of a, of a, of a tempo change that perhaps wasn't there when you first wrote the book. But what is the tempo? How do we find a tempo? Where are we looking for this tempo? Well, I think we f- look for different warning signs that tell us that we're going too fast. One is clearly the body. If uh, an illness isn't often a sign that you're moving through your life too quickly. Uh, if you are having mental health problems or if you're just essentially unhappy, if you are skimming through your life instead of actually living it, that feeling of touching the surface rather than getting deep into things, that's often another alarm signal. Uh, and memory is another one that people often don't consider. There is an intimate bond between memory and slowness. When we move too fast, we're at a high, in turbo at the wrong gear, then nothing sticks. Everything becomes a blur. And I think a lot of us have that sensation where we get into bed and our head hits a pillow at the end of the week or the end of the month or the end of the year. And we look back and think, whoa, well, that was 2018. You know, I can't remember mm. anything. I don't even remember what I had for lunch today. <laughs> and I think a, 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 a clear warning shot across the bow is if you just find yourself not remembering anything. It's mm. not dementia. It's probably that you're going too fast. You're going too fast. Well, we live in a world which is basically gearing us up to live at this turbocharged. I mean, in the in the past 15 years, we've seen digital gathering a pace. We've seen social media come to the fore, all things that encourage us to live in this sort of fast snapshotty kind of way. How do we pull back from that? Well, well you're right that the keynote of modern culture is acceleration. The pressure is coming at us from every angle and every walk of life, from the way the technology is set up to the way the workplace is, to the whole kind of consumer world. We live in a a world that's a smorgasbord of things to do and consume and experience in the natural human instinct is to want to have it all. So Mm. we end up having it all or seeking to, and that just means hurrying it all. All of that being said, we 
don't have to play that game, right? Or we can play it more on our own terms. And that's really, I think, what this whole slow culture quake is about. It's a collective shift, but it has to start as an individual shift. You know, we have to make small decisions, little hacks, you know, often modest shifts in our own behavior that can make a big difference. So something as, 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 as small as just, if you've got a smartphone, turning off the notifications so that you decide when you look and see if there's an email or a Snapchat update or Facebook status, you know, new, new post. You don't have it coming at you on the terms of the gadget, right? So, so just a, that's just one example of a small change you can make that can make a deep, palpable, slow difference to mm. anyone's life. The cult of acceleration is obviously probably very closely aligned to the cult of productivity. And I think I read somewhere on your website about um, becoming more being a, th a thing that you can do when you slow down rather than doing more. In terms of business, let's talk in specific terms of business. You know, there is that sense of productivity. And, and I would imagine a sort of slight concern if you were slowing down that you would be not productive and therefore you would not be of as much value. How do we get over that psychological knot? And how can we slow down at work and still be productive? Well, there is a deep taboo in the workplace, particularly against the very idea of slowing down, that slow is synonymous with lazy, torpid, mm. unproductive, stupid, <laughs> you know, your roadkill if you put on the brakes. But I think more and more that conversation is shifting, that there's a seismic change going on that within the workplace, people are realizing that we're bumping up against the limits of what the human animal can deliver mm. in an office or a factory. And big companies or companies of all sizes, but the forward-looking ones are finding ways to, to inject moments of slowness so that their staff are not just stuck in roadrunner mode 24 hours a day, that they're allowing them to switch off their phones or encourage them to leave their desks when the work is done. Um, they're rethinking uh, who can be contacted outside office hours, those sorts of things. And the message is coming, thankfully, loud and clear from the big oracles of productivity. The Economist magazine did a big survey looking at the pace of modern business, and they came to a conclusion that is in fact a perfect summation of this slow philosophy, right? The final paragraph mm. of that survey from The Economist read, it said, forget frantic acceleration, mastering the clock of business means choosing when to be fast and when to be slow. Right. And that's The Economist. It's not Buddhist Monthly yeah. <laughs> or Acupuncture <laughs> Weekly, right? It's the in-house Bible of some of the most ambitious, fastest moving demanding people on earth and they are coming to the same conclusion that mm. in order to thrive in a fast world you have to slow down sometimes you have yeah. to have a range of speeds you have to go slowly in order to speed up at other times and just, just another example from the corporate world at amazon we all all read these stories about people in amazon what do they call those reception welcome center you know, the, mm. the, the delivery depots where people's time is chopped up into little segments and i you know even their bathroom breaks apparently are, are timed that, that's horrendous and that's anti-slow. Uh, but at the top of that food chain at Amazon, they have understood that slowing down is productive. So mm. when Jeff Bezos gets together with his inner cadre of top <laughs> executives, they kick off every meeting with a period of silence that can right. last up to 30 minutes, right? And that sounds uncomfortable, uh, strange, inefficient, a, a bit weird, right? Sitting there with your, but actually it turns out to be immensely productive because in that period of silence, the executives at Amazon do what very few people do in the workplace today, which is that they stop, mm. they pause, they think, they read reports that have been put together painstakingly by their colleagues. They marshal their arguments, they refine their ideas, they crunch the numbers. And then when the meeting starts, it's focused, it's streamlined, it's fast, it's efficient, mm. right? It's, and I think of that as the delicious paradox of slow, that by slowing down in the workplace, not only do you often get better results, but sometimes you get them more quickly. 
Yeah. You, know, you have to slow down in order to speed up. And that's what people find hard to get their head around, but increasingly they're coming to that, that conclusion and, and making changes, you know, it's like in interval running, isn't it? You sort of jog and then you sprint and then you jog. You can't sprint round and round a track, can you? Any athlete will say the same thing, mm. that you know, the, Usain Bolt has moments of extraordinary superhuman speed, but he also has times of rest. Yeah, he's and not he also, going that pace all the time. No, well, one would hope not. <laughs> and, and he also has times when he's doing exercise that is of different speeds and different paces. And he also has a lot of time to recharge his batteries as any top athlete does. And mm. Lessons are all around us. It's just that we've whipped ourselves up into such a hysterical corner of acceleration that we find it hard to contemplate the very idea of putting on the brakes. But, but mm. once we step out of that, that place, it becomes obvious, I think, to most of us that this slower is, is often yeah. better. Not Sorry, always, better. of course, not yeah, always, yeah. but sometimes. But it's obviously key to performance. I would imagine it also has a massive impact on creativity and innovation because you can't really... Hugely. Yeah. And that's in some ways as the world moves towards more mechanization, artificial intelligence, picking off a lot of our jobs, the low hanging fruit, human beings, our USP is going to be a creativity. It's going to be innovation. It's going to be thinking outside the proverbial box, making those weird leaps of connection and curiosity. And that can only happen when we slow down. I mean, the science is crystal clear that when we're in a relaxed, mellow state, the brain shifts into a richer, more nuanced mode of thought. Psychologists even call it slow thinking, right? <laughs> so, and we all know that I'm guessing, you know, any of your listeners, if they just think for a moment, when do you, you know, when do their best ideas come to them? You know, the, you ask that question anywhere in the world and the number one answer is the shower, right? Yeah. You know, or walking the dog or swinging in a hammock on holiday. No one ever says my best ideas come to me when I'm juggling 15 emails or racing to meet a deadline with a client or the boss breathing down my neck, yeah. right? It's in those slow moments. <laughs> and and that's, that's where the future lies. The, the, those are the people who will inherit the earth, are the creatives. And creativity has, is linked genetically and deeply at, at a cellular level with slowness. And That's every true. scientist talk about it. Darwin called himself a slow thinker. Did he? That the, the woman, um, Marsakami, is or Maria Marsakami, who won that, the most prestigious uh, maths prize a little while ago, first woman ever, called herself a slow thinker. Mm. Einstein famously gazed out the window for hours at, was at Yale, letting his mind wander. That's the art and that, that's the sciences. You go to the arts and every great artist will talk about the importance of shifting gears, mm. of letting the mind drift, of moving in and out of different modes of being and thought and slow is at the core of all that. Do you think, talking about Einstein and his daydream, his famous daydreaming, do you think that the acceleration of the digital world is one of the biggest dangers to this? Because we could be slow. We could be sort of physically slow, but mentally not giving us any of this space. You know, people sit on buses and look at their phones or their, you know, everything's always engaged in a state of slightly. Mm. That's not our, that's not the fault of the gadgets. That's our no. fault, right? It's how we use them. And I, I'm not a Luddite. I love the technology and mm. I, have, I have all of the gadgets, <laughs> right? But they all have a little red button that yeah, yeah. says or means off. And Blow if we don't up. use it, right, just switch, <laughs> switch them off. Yeah. And when we do that, things change, you know, the whole relationship with the technology shifts and you cease to be a slave to the screen and it becomes a useful tool. And in fact, if you use your iPhone or your MacBook or your whatever it is, your, your tablet, you use it wisely, it can actually help you slow down because you can make use of time to get stuff done when you couldn't have done it 10 years ago. Mm. Say on the bus, you get something done, but then you've got to, when you come home, you've got to put the tablet away. Yes. Right? The problem is we don't, we keep going. So I just saw some figures recently, which underscored how these tools or gadgets, especially the phone that we carry around in a pocket has become for most of us a weapon of mass distraction, right? It's the, the figure was that 
the average smartphone user touches his or her phone daily 2,627 times. That's amazing. And the top 10% are 5,417 times, just touches. And that is, now we are talking serious addiction territory yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same, we see that scenario, it's all around us. You described it a moment ago, you get on the bus, nobody's looking out the window. Nobody mm. is letting their mind drift into that slow thinking mode where the creativity illuminates mm. and comes alive. We're all wondering what's happening on Instagram, right? Yeah. And that's the bad news. The good news is that we can change that. The phone is not a sentient being, right? No. You know, the phone is just a, it's just a tool. It's in our hands and we can use it. And in fact, I, I'm a natural born optimist and a techno optimist because you're starting to see that change happening in the tech world as people look for ways to switch off the gadgets. I do a lot of work in Silicon Valley. I'm flying out there actually in three weeks to give a series of talks. And it's on that bleeding edge of technology and places like that that people are starting to say, enough. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to create new social norms, new rules, new protocols around the technology to get the most of it so that we can slow down when we need to. And then when we need the speed mm. that the gadgets give us, then it's there for us and, it's and we can pounce on it. Right. Yeah. And it's that dance between fast and slow up and down the scale of tempos. That's when the music and the magic happens. And the big tech people are coming to that conclusion, right? You know, they're coming up, look at all the big companies, Apple, Facebook, Instagram, just very recently putting out new tools that give people more control over how much time they spend on the screen. Mm. They're, they're joining in that conversation because they're realizing that it's just gone too far. You go out to Silicon Valley, as I do, and talk to parents there. What are they doing with their kids? They are not giving not. them screens. They're no, no. holding it back as long as possible and trying to build a more balanced relationship with gadgetry in the home. Mm. And this is something also that is happening outside of Silicon Valley labs and big money venture capitalist world that is Palo Alto and all that. It's happening just in normal life. People are coming up with new social rituals. I don't know if you've heard of this new thing called stacking, where, where you see it. In, I've seen it in London. You see it in New York now where people, go out, yes, yes, people, people <laughs> go out for a, a meal or a coffee or whatever. Everybody piles up their phone in the middle and whoever, and a stack in other words, and whoever grabs the phone first to check Facebook or send a message pays the bill for pays everybody else, bill, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, I think is a lovely counterintuitive way of just saying, you know, here we are in this moment. Yeah. We'll never have this moment again. Yeah, yeah. Why spoil it by trying to be in three moments at once? Mm. Let's just be here together. Let's slow down. And what's really encouraging, I think, about that thing of stacking is that that is not an idea that has been imposed by burned out baby boomers who did not grow up with the internet. Mm. That's coming up from the digital natives who are themselves saying, love Snapchat. We want to be on Messenger, you know, mm. but there are limits, right? And we need to find out ways to, to put speed limits on the information superhighway. Mm -hmm. Ch change is coming. Change is coming. This is positive news. And, and like you say, you know, it takes maybe a few years, a few cycles of revolutions to, to become the norm, but the norm is, yeah, is going to change. The needle, yeah, the needle, the needle is, is changing. Moving. What, I mean, in terms of tempos and slowness, I mean, uh, is there a difference in the way and the speeds that, uh, that men and women approach life um, or even in the generations? Or is it just a blanket? We're all swept along in this giant. I think as a general, we're all swept along. There may be some differences that are, probably culturally pushed upon us. I mean, certainly women are under much more cultural pressure to wear many hats at the same time. Mm. So there's probably more pressure on them to fall into the multitasking trap, right? Of juggling various things at once. So there's, I, I think that there's a difference there probably in the genders. Um, between the generations, when I first started investigating this, my assumption was that older generations would just be slower. Mm. And of course, you know, and I've just, I'm just finishing 
up a, a new book on, on our attitudes to aging. So one of the things that I've been looking at is the fact that in some ways we do slow down physically and so on, but mentally very, very, you know, not necessarily. And many people carry on being just as fast moving from the neck up in later <laughs> life as they do before. I think of my mom, for instance, who's nearly 80 and she could go toe to toe with anyone on the iPad and is all over everything and is always on. And in fact, when she comes to visit us, she is racking up more screen time than my 16 year old daughter. Right? <laughs> and it's my kids who are saying, you know, put your iPad down, pay attention, slow down. Right? So uh, I think it varies from person to person rather than generation to generation. Clearly, as a broad brushstroke, you could argue that people who, as I did, grew up with a childhood where we just played, we got bored, we had to make up our own games. Maybe we have more antibodies against some of that speed, but does that, how does that play on mm. the real world? I still think that my generation can be just as much on that carousel yeah. of hamster wheeling round and round and juggling 50 things and never putting, they, they are, you look at the use of mobile phones among that generation. It's not that different. No, it's so not, these, is it? It's I mean, really. you know, I, I, we're pretty much the same childhood age and yeah, I, you do, it's a hamster wheel because it is, it, it, like, as we've talked about, it's a sort of structural thing. It's a it's an expectation thing. It's an attitudinal thing, the sort of productivity and the faster, 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 more, more, more. And then you have to just say stop. It's also a human metaphysical thing that uh, busyness is, for many people, an instrument of denial. It's a way of Very true. running yeah. away from and avoiding the deeper questions. You know, who mm. am I? What is my purpose in life? Am I, am I living the <laughs> life I'm supposed to be living? Or am I family well, or those are frightening questions to contemplate. It's easier just to fill up your head and your diary with stuff, fluff, distraction, you know, and to, to, to sweat the small stuff, to think, mm. oh no, where are my keys? I'm late for my 11 a.m. Rather than thinking, am I happy? Am I well? You know, those are harder, those are the questions that we need to slow down and confront in order to live a life worthy of the name, right? Uh, uh, the, 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 the examined life. We have to go over a hump to do it. And it's easier for, I think, for people to just get busy and get fast and to avoid those things, which is mm -hmm. why therapists often describe the final stage before burnout as one last burst of acceleration. Oh, really? As though the person is desperately trying to outrun all those problems before yeah, yeah. crash into the brick wall. Then they have to confront the questions, right? Mm -hmm. And not many people, I has to, I almost say that probably no one has two burnouts, right? Mm. You know, once you've had a real serious burnout, you may come yeah. back to the same job, but you're going to come back to it on different terms Changed, yes. with a slow spirit mm. and mindset and, and a different way of being because you will have been forced finally by that burnout yeah, yeah. to face those big questions that it's easier not to face. And it's, it's so easy to avoid them now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As you say, mass distraction is, is everywhere. We could look at slowness as, as a metric of well-being, then. And again, we come back to the business thing. It makes absolute business sense to keep that well-being. Um, parenting, you know, another one, the sort of the dance of parenting. How do Absolutely. you slow down as a parent? Well, I mean, that, my, second, <laughs> my second book, Under Pressure, is all about, all about yes. that. And I do, I do lots of work with schools and so mm. on, and a lot of work with parents. And uh, that is one of the toughest demographics because parents are getting it on two sides, the push within the workplace and all the other cultural stuff to speed up. And then suddenly a child gets thrown into that equation mm. and all of the high expectations and pressures to follow the high speed, high stakes, more is more approach to child rearing. And you put those two things together and it just becomes this toxic overload. I, mean, yeah. I went through that myself. Again, that's the downside, but the upside is that people are more and more 
just realizing that they don't have to play that game or play it in that way. And that they can just say, okay, well, I'm going to give my child more time just to play. I'm going to keep the screens out. We're not going to fill up the schedule with structured activities. We're going to leave time for playing, daydreaming, getting bored even. Mm. Right? I mean, this is one of the things nowadays we're also... We're also terrified of boredom, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, throughout, People don't let themselves feel bored anymore, do they? As adults or even children. And children, no. I mean, throughout history, when a child came to a parent and said, I'm bored, that was the child's problem, right? Yeah. You know, your parent would say, tough, you know, go outside, find someone to play. Or they'd use that immortal expression, use your imagination. <laughs> now a child comes to a parent and says, I'm bored. It's the parent's fault. You think, oh no, my child's bored. Yeah. Where's the iPad? Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. we need another structured activity in the, and you think, no, Maybe no, I need no, to drive no. them somewhere. <laughs> no, <quick. yeah. laughs> you need, no, you need none of that. What you need is the boredom. You need to back off, let the boredom happen. Let the child fall through the boredom, use their own devices to come out the other end. And it's in those moments of unstructured time of not knowing what's coming next, of restlessness, of boredom, even that children learn how to, how to think, how to create, yeah. how to get along with themselves and their peers. It's when they when they learn how to use their imagination, which is what everybody's crying out for the next generation to be able to do. Absolutely. And yet we crowd that out by being so afraid of boredom and, you know, long live boredom. Long yeah. live boredom. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that necessarily to be the title of this podcast, but, uh, uh, you know, it's part of the mix, yeah. right? It's in the mix. It's I mean, mix. like, well, you know, like you say that, that um, it's also knowing that the world isn't going to collapse if you're bored. And that's part of the tempo thing, isn't it? It's allowing, you know, that sense of anxiety about, you know, oh, I've got to fill this space, this gap, this, you know, and then just going, actually, nothing's going to happen if I don't. I, I always use the word tempo because I feel that mm. it taps us into how we all feel about music. And we all know intuitively what music feels like when it's going at the right pace. And we know that it changes, that it has lots of tempos. Mm. No piece of music has one tempo. And if it does, it's really thrash boring metal. thrash metal or, <laughs> or un undanceable EDM, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but if it's got real texture and something that's going to transport you and then it's going to have different tempos. And that's really a metaphor for, for life, mm. right? It's having different tempos. You know, you, we've all got an inner tortoise, right? Yeah. We have an inner hair. And I think the problem nowadays is that the inner hair has its hand on the, on the tiller, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if we reconnect with our inner tortoise and have that range of moving back and forth between tortoise and hair, slow and fast, playing with all those rhythms, that's when we unleash the kind of life we really all want to live, we both at home and at work, right? It's not just yeah, yeah. the home thing. That's no, absolutely. So um, in conclusion, is, you know, if we find ourselves on that hamster wheel, we're feeling that tension, we're feeling that sort of, as you say, it's a feeling thing, isn't it? You check in with yourself. And again, that you like, you know, like we were talking about mindfulness has become a really big thing and stuff. There's a lot of movements for people to start checking in with themselves and, and just stop, you know. Is, is it basically that people should know that they have the choice as to what speed they go at? They have much more choice right. and much more room to maneuver than they imagine. This is, I think, the key here is that we all think, I remember thinking of myself when I started playing around with this idea of slowing down. I thought, I can't slow down, right? I, I actually need two more hours in the day to get mm -hmm. everything squeezed mm. in that needs doing. But then when I really stopped and began to think about how I was using time, what was really important to me, I realized that I had so many moments and spaces where I could shift a gear down and go into my gear rather than just following whatever the gear of everybody else around me was. So I think if anyone is going to take away anything from what we've talked about, it is that, you know, you have the power, right? It's about regaining your own temporal autonomy, control over your own time, mm. if you like, you know. Um, I know there's a, the, at the moment we're all talking about um, 
taking back control, right? <laughs> I don't want to go down that, that political rabbit hole, but it is in a sense, it's kind of on an individual level, it's about taking back control of your own time. Mm. And you have much more scope to do that than you think. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Carl. Thanks. And if you'd like to find out more about slowing down, the slow movement, or any of Carl's other work, uh, log on to carlhonore.com and keep a lookout for his new book, which is out in December, looking at aging, how we do it in a world where we are all living longer than ever and how we do it successfully, most importantly. 